Greetings, everyone. This is a Sound Health radio show where we talk about the crossroads of the environment and our health with Richard Talk to Me Guy. And as we know, Sherry Edwards is off working on the soundhealthportal.com. Always improving it, always making it more, coming up with a new graph, a new chart, a new amazing way to see more information. In a visual display, it really works for me. And you can find more about that at soundhealthportal.com and scroll down and check out the current campaigns, which are free options for you to do a vocal print. But we'll talk about that more in a little while. To hear and share replays of the show, about 15 to 20 minutes after I end the show, you can go to talktomeguy.com, scroll down that page, and you'll see the show in about 20 minutes after we end here. And there will be complete show notes as well as any links that we talk about or articles to refer to or all sorts of information. And if you scroll down that page, if you're on a mobile device and you scroll down that page, Right below the show notes is a player directly that you can listen to right from your mobile device or browser on a computer. And there are also links to all, a bunch of different kind of podcast players, meaning Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Dogcatcher, Podcatcher, there's a bunch of them. And you'll be able to find the replay there. And if you'd like to leave me a message with a show suggestion or a question, there's a little microphone in the lower right corner of that page and you can just click on it and leave me a message and say, Hey, what about this? What about that? What about this guest? That can all be found at talktomeguy.com. With that, Dr. Christine Arsenault, Pharma D, FMCHC, is a pharmacist and health coach who has a deeply personal connection to the chronic effects of Lyme disease. She's on a mission to help others with Lyme, navigate their health, and supports them in following a treatment plan. Christine has been a practicing pharmacist since 2008. After earning her doctorate, she went on to work as a clinical pharmacist at a large teaching hospital for six years. She then managed an integrative pharmacy where she worked with nutritionists, herbalists, and other practitioners to emphasize a holistic approach for patients. She's a functional medicine certified health coach and has certifications in cannabis medicine from Oaksterdam University and the International Society of Cannabis Pharmacists. Christine has an invaluable breadth of knowledge of how to utilize Western medicine's wisdom and combine that with her passion in natural options and addressing the root causes of disease for optimum health and wellness. She supports clients in using plant medicines in a safe and effective manner. She helps clients release blocks, holding them back from true healing so they can experience a transformation in health. Christine founded Lyme Support in 2019 to, get, to guide those struggling with tick-borne infections to a place of health. Now her professional focus is solely as a functional medicine certified health coach supporting others who are struggling with tick-borne diseases to change their life and truly heal through her programs. Surviving Lyme, 90 Days to Navigate Your Disease and Reclaim Your Health and Surviving to Thrive Chronic Illness. Today, Christine joins us to demystify and clarify the many potential benefits of using cannabis. Welcome, Christine. 
Thank you, Richard. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. You bet. As I as we chatted briefly backstage before the show, there's only like a thousand questions because <laughs> cannabis is such a huge thing. I mean, it really it is. It really is huge, and it, and it's exciting as an as an old as an old herbalist. Um, I'm very excited to see the state of cannabis today because in the 80s I was doing formulations for people with cannabis because to me it's an herb. It's always been an herb. Mm-hmm. It's still an herb. But now it's all like, oh, my God, marijuana. There's that. Um, I want to start at a – this will be the tiny amount of not exactly editorial, but I could get a little editorial here. And then we'll move on to the other information. Okay. Marijuana, marijuana was legal in the United States up until 1938. People don't really get that. It was completely legal until 1938. And I'm wondering – if you think that the film Reefer Madness, which was made in 1936, there was just a it's, – it's worth saying because today it's funny. The, the effect that it had at that time I don't think was so funny. But it was just it – was, it was truly as if Reefer was going to cause you to be mad, a mad person. And I don't mean angry, just like crazed, out of your mind. And – when that film came out, I think that really clo- really cinched the deal on whoever wanted to take control or get cannabis out of the pharmacopoeias, which was the physician, I mean, the pharmacist's reference books, and to have it stop being used. How many decades had cannabis been used as a plant medicine, and what were some of the uses until making it illegal? Yeah, so, well, cannabis has been around for thousands of years, like 8,000-plus 8, years. So it's dated back. Um, you know, it was used in ancient India, ancient China, ancient Egypt um, for all kinds of different uses. And so it's been around for a long time. And, yep, as you said, it was available in pharmacies until 1938. And then there's basically a smear campaign done against it. And um, a lot of it had to do with, different industries that were in competition, pharmaceutical industries, paper industry, um, you know, hemp was used for paper products and ropes and different things. And so it was a threat to certain industries and that was part of the reason. Um, And then just the whole, you know, war on drugs campaign that that came about. And um, yeah, a lot of the stereotypes were rooted in racism as well. as far as the whole reefer madness. And so, yeah, after that, it became illegal and then it wasn't studied for its medicinal benefits um, because of its status as an illegal substance. Everybody just imagine a string of bad words flying from my mouth <laughs> because it just blows my mind that this is what happened, that it would have been used for thousands of years. I, when I had the herb store, I collected old pharmaco, uh, pharmacopoeias. No, no, sorry. The reference books that physicians used as compounding mm-hmm. physicians because back in the day, back in the 30s, and I don't know for how long, pharmacists were compounding because you couldn't just go to a shelf and pull a pill off the shelf. And there were a lot of things that were used that were compounded and cannabis was one of those. And it was always in all these old pharmacopoeias that I had. And so when it disappeared, it was like, what happened? That'd be like, to me, that would be like taking away valerian, which is a wonderful herb 
relaxing, soothing. It's just like it's just another herb. But the madness that occurred, well, that's a that's a whole other. Okay, end of rant. <laughs> Maybe. What what is the function of the endocannabinoid system in the body? Does it have other functions besides being receptive to cannabis? What is its what is its function in the system? Yeah, so to really understand cannabis, you kind of have to have an idea of what the endocannabinoid system is, and that explains why cannabis can be used for so many different things, uh, because the endocannabinoid system is the most widespread receptor system that we have in the human body. Um, And so it's made up of cannabinoid receptors, which are found throughout your body. Um, So that'd be CB1 receptors and CB2 receptors. And they're especially um, found in immune cells and in your central nervous system. And then we have compounds called endocannabinoids, which are basically your body's own cannabis particles that interact with these receptors. And then there's the enzymes that break down the endocannabinoids. And the endocannabinoid system is responsible for homeostasis. So it's a homeostatic regulatory system. So that means it, its whole job is to bring the body into balance. And again, that kind of explains why the cannabis plant has so many different uses and why sometimes it has opposite effects in different people um, because it's all about regulation and bringing the body into balance. And specifically, it can help with pain and inflammation and inflammation in the nervous system and inflammation in the immune system as well. Um, and then the endocannabinoid system has effects on memory and pain, emotion, um, nausea and appetite. Uh, it's found in the gut and, um, yeah, pretty much all throughout the body. And so it's responsible for keeping everything in balance. And it's not just cannabis that affects the endocannabinoid system. Um, our bodies rely on our diet as well to produce the right amount of endocannabinoids to function. And, um, they're synthesized from fatty acids in our diet. So fatty acids and our balance of omega-6s to omega-3s is really important for the endocannabinoid system. Um, And then there's some other things that can help support a healthy endocannabinoid system, like aerobic exercise, um, potentially probiotics, acupuncture, osteopathic manipulations, um, maybe even yoga and meditation. And then our natural Um, endocannabinoids that we make are found in breast milk. They're thought to be responsible for the runner's high that you get. Um, And those, the names of those endocannabinoids are 2-AG and anandamide. And anandamide is also called the the bliss compound. And so that's released when we meditate. Oh, now I want more of that. Yeah. <laughs> is there something else that I is do I have to meditate to get it to get that or is there something I can a substance or a, is there another form or does the meditative state really move us to producing that? Well, there the endocannabinoids are produced on demand when your body needs them to help regulate things. So they're produced at different times if your body is stressed to kind of balance things out as well. Um, and then again, they're like they're found in breast milk as well. Um, and, you know, the diet has an effect on, on how you are producing endocannabinoids as well. 
Um, and then there's, you know, when you have like chronic illness, chronic stress or chronic sleep deprivation, that can lead to depletion of the endocannabinoids. So it's kind of, you know, it's a whole system. So it's really dependent on a lot of different factors, a lot of different lifestyle factors. You mean what we eat has an effect on our endocannabinoid system? <laughs> what? Yes. You're such a radical. <laughs> such a radical. <laughs> um, do you think something you said about cannabis makes me think in, in herbal language, there are things called adaptogens. And adaptogens, mm-hmm. adaptogens such as some of the ginseng, you know, the, some of the ginsengs, most of the ginsengs, ashwagandha, a bunch of things that are adaptogens. And the idea of an adaptogen is to help the body strive toward homeostasis or balance. Do you think eventually we'll define or add cannabis to the list of adaptogens? I don't really hear people talking about it that way, but when you describe it, it sure sounds like an adaptogen to me. Yeah, it, it does because it, you know, it influences your homeostasis. So it brings things into balance, which is what adaptogens do. Um, so that's why adaptogens can have opposite effects on different people as well, depending on if they need more or less of something. So, yeah, I do think adaptogen would be a good category for cannabis. And when we will know, I'll, I'll save that question. I'll set that aside for a moment. <laughs> um, let's talk about how, I, I mean, uh, the whole idea of strain selection seems like almost a whole mm-hmm. show unto itself because it can be so complicated. And sometimes I've gone with people to dispensaries where the person is very excited by what they're talking about but they just do this blitz of like the things and the sativas and the indicas and the hybrids. And then you got to try this. And then there's girl scout, girl scout cookie. And then it's just very, it's very hard for lay people to understand, I think, but it's not really. So, so please talk to us about strain selection and how you choose for a client, what might be beneficial for them, how you dial that in. Yeah. So, let me start by saying, so for, if we're looking at the phytocannabinoids, if we're looking at the cannabis plant, um, the two main cannabinoids that we know that are prevalent in the biggest amounts in the plant are THC and CBD. Um, so tetrahydrocannabinol and cannabinol. And um, there's, all, there's hundreds of others, and there's terpenes, and there's all these um, products that make up the plant. And how they work together, um, it's called the entourage effect. So all of these pieces work together in synergy to have a greater effect than each of the pieces alone, um, which is why I like whole plants, um, which I think we'll talk more about in a little bit. Um, so when you're choosing a medication, choosing a plant, the THC to CBD ratio is something to look at. Um, and there are products that are high in THC, which THC is the psychoactive component. Um, CBD is psychoactive in a, in a different way. I wouldn't say it's not psychoactive because it does, you know, produce a calming effect and, and do different things. It just doesn't give you that typical high that we think about. Um, 
And so there's balanced products that are like a one-to-one ratio, and then there's high CBD products, so maybe that's like a 20-to-one. So when I work with clients, we look at the THC to CBD ratio, and it really depends on your goals and your fear of getting high, I would say. There are some patients that just don't want the high. They, they don't like how it makes them feel. They don't want that. They only want the medicinal benefit. Um, and then there are others that like the high or don't mind it, um, or maybe they want to use the CBD higher strains during the day and then the THC later at night because it tends to make them drowsy. So the THC to CBD ratio is an important part to look at when you're selecting. And then when you look at the strains themselves, um, we have indica and we have sativa. But those are kind of stereotypes or generalizations. There's so much, there's so many hybrids and crossbreeding that um, they don't, the plant doesn't always fit into that category perfectly. But in general, the sativas are more uplifting. Um, they can sometimes help with depression. They can help with um, giving you more energy. But sometimes they can also cause anxiety, especially if you have too high of a dose. And then when you look at the indicas, they tend to be more for pain relief, more um, to help you with sleep, more calming. Uh, but again, there's hybrids and so many in between. So I would say that's kind of where the terpenes come in. And the terpenes are responsible for giving the plant the smells. And so there's different terpenes that have different properties, and that can be helpful when you're selecting a medication. But again, it's a plant with all these components, and when you have, you know, different terpenes with, with other products in the plant, then they react differently as well. So it's hard to just, you know, know that one terpene is going to work a certain way because if it's with other terpenes, it, its activity might be a little bit different. So it's a little tricky, but we can look at overall patterns. And so, like, for example, linalool is a terpene that tends to help with relaxation. Um, Beta-carophyllin is one that tends to help with inflammation. Um, there's pinene, which has kind of a pine needle scent. Um, there's limonene, which tends to be more of an uplifting kind of effect. So you can start to kind of tease out some of the medical effects based on the terpenes. But it's never exact. It's always, always patient-specific. So the most important thing really is to just start tracking products to see what works for you and, and what doesn't. And once you start keeping track and you start kind of seeing trends, then it makes it a little bit easier to select a strain that's going to work for you. And then the other part that makes it challenging is the biphasic dosing of the cannabis. Um, so it acts, not only does it, you know, work with homeostasis, so sometimes it might ha have one response in your body and another time might have the opposite based on what you need. But there's also this biphasic dosing where it does different things at lower doses versus higher doses. So um, a lot of times lower doses tend to be more stimulating, whereas higher doses can be more sedating, or it kind of has this peak and falls back down. So you might find that you're getting an effect, getting an effect, getting an effect as you're trying to find the dose and you keep going up and then you go up more and all of a sudden you have less of an effect or it's not working for you. And then people actually have to go back down on the dose to find that sweet spot. So um, again, the whole plant 
is important in, in that part because we find with isolates there's more of that and falling, whereas with the whole plant, um, it tends to have effects sooner and then have more of a plateau but not necessarily fall off as much. So, yeah, I would say dosing can be a bit complicated. And once again, as an old herbalist, I never understood well, in the in the old days, in the 80s, we did never use the term isolates. But I was never a fan of trying to get a – I always – I'm a believer in whole plant medicine. Mm-hmm. That if you're going to take an herb, you're going to take the whole herb, and maybe you want to add something into it. We In herbal medicine, we do more formulating, where we put certain things together to enhance the overall action. Mm-hmm. And with cannabis – I know there is such madness about isolates. And I don't necessarily mean that in a great way. I mean, everybody's like, here's the newest, most amazing, magical isolate. And I just think it it does make sense to me, the idea of not taking advantage of the whole plant. And I'm this is really in the form of a question. I just can't make it a question. I I just don't think that we know everything about cannabis. So why would you want to eliminate something by only taking this particular isolate just because you want that effect? I just don't see that that works well. If yeah. you can address whatever I'm trying to say there, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we definitely don't know everything about cannabis. I mean, THC itself wasn't discovered until 1964. And then wow. the endocannabinoid system was discovered after that, uh, I think in the 90s, really. And it's still not being taught in medical schools. I, I think it is in some now, but not necessarily all of them. So it's, it's this widespread system that affects so many things in our body, and yet um, it's just now starting to be taught. We're starting to understand it, um, starting to get back to where we think of cannabis as medicine and it's okay to study it. So there's definitely a lot that we don't know, and a lot of, um, people are using it, you know, anecdotally and seeing results, but there might not be randomized controlled trials for everything. Um, it, like I said, it has been around for thousands of years, so it does have, you know, established safety, but we don't know exactly how it works for all of the different disease states. And then mm. you talk about the isolates and, yeah, I think it's, I mean, this, this is what I noticed in my training at the find one ingredient, a lot of drugs come from nature. We find one ingredient that does something, so we're like, oh, this ingredient does something, so more of it must be good, and only this ingredient is good. And so we take it out, and we make a a medicine with just that one ingredient. And I kind of find that egotistical of of man to do that, (laughs) uh, because I feel like nature always Uh. knows better. Yeah. you know, and so we don't understand how all of the parts combine to work together. And I, I just feel like nature is always going to outsmart man. And so, you know, we take one thing out and I think it's going to be better to have more of it. And that's not always true. But there is something to say about being able to study it. So when we, you know, when we take one ingredient and we give it a specific dose, we, it's easier to study within certain populations. And it, when there's less variables, then we can see you know, what effects it is having. So it it makes sense sometimes. Um, But in general, I find that it's more effective to use the whole plant. You can get away with lower doses 
And that's going to, you know, be great for your pocketbook. It's going to be good for potential drug interactions and things like that. And, uh, yeah, so to use the whole plan, you're, you're usually going to have more benefit. But then there are certain instances where isolates might make sense. If you have, you know, a child with seizures and you want to be very exact on the CBD, CBD dose that they're getting, um, then it might make sense to do an isolate and do higher doses and, you know, have trials looking at specific doses in, in that instance. So I don't think it's always a bad thing, but I think that there's a place for pharmaceutical cannabinoids versus, you know, whole plants. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I think that when we can use the whole plant and when we can be humble and know that nature knows what it's doing, I think we can go further overall in our health. <laughs> Excuse me. I don't, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at the, if we could only be humble. What? Why start now? <laughs> We're the superior being. We know everything. Why be humble? Um, would there, could, do you think it would be okay or, or your chemistry comprehension is always blows my mind. Would there be benefit possibly to using the fa foundation of a whole plant extract and adding an isolate to it? Because then you're still getting this synergism, that entourage effect from the whole plant and bumping it up with an isolate? Is that a good way to go, possibly? Uh, I mean, potentially. I don't know. I don't know that we've studied it that way to know. I okay. would wonder if, if we would need less doses if we did that because we did have the whole plant synergy um, mm -hmm. there. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't think that we've really studied it like that. Okay. Well, please, somebody study that. Somebody be humble. <laughs> think Mother Nature might know something about how growing plants that have been grown in jungles for thousands of years. Yeah, that's amazing. And how does the, the ratio of the THC to CBD affect either a formula or a plant, and is that all really kind of being dialed in these days by hybrids to pump up something or to, and or they take a strain and then they begin to, like they do in any plant, they find something they want out of it and then they begin to pump that up. Is that how they, do, do plants, very strains have different ratios of THC to CBD? And do yeah. THC dominant, I, I guess I have to throw in this too, do THC dominant strains have some CBD in there always? Yeah. So this goes back to using the whole plant as well. For a lot of disease states, it's more effective when we have, like, even if we're using CBD predominantly to have some THC it tends to be more effective to use that synergy to our advantage instead of, um, just getting rid of it completely. And so a lot of um, a lot of the strains that were out there initially when, um, you know, medical cannabis first came out and, you know, with recreational cannabis as well or the really high THC strains, the, you know, that's what people wanted to, to get high. And so a lot of those have very little CBD, um, if any, and then I think we realized how powerful the CBD component is medicinally. And so then higher strain or higher CBD strains started coming out as well. And um, it's, yeah, it's really about balance and having, 
having the whole plant. So if you are going to totally take, you know, the THC out, I don't think you're going to have as much benefit as having some of it in. And a lot of times um, for a lot of conditions, like a one-to-one ratio seems to be really good. Um, Mm -hmm. And then just the other thing I could add is that CBD also counteracts the psychoactive effect of THC. So that can help with people that don't want to feel too high if they have that CBD in there that will kind of counteract that. Or if you do get into a position where you overdose on, I mean, I say overdose, um, Uh really I just mean where you're uncomfortably high, then you can use CBD to kind of bring you down. So they, it is kind of like an antidote to the THC in that way. Mm -hmm. And I'll say that I have, um, who was it? Oh, it was Eaton Hemp. When I interviewed the, one of the founders of Eaton Hemp, who grows hemp, permaculture, organic, really beautiful hemp products, they also make hemp free rolls where they're actually just taking the leaf like Cubans would make cigars. They take the leaf of the hemp and roll it into a joint. Okay. And for a while, every once in a while, I will take a, I'm not a big smoker. Mm-hmm. I've, I've smoked in my life, but I don't smoke that much. And what I do, meaning cannabis, um, I sometimes will take a hit off of a hemp pre-roll and I find it quite soothing. I find it to have an action I would consider to be a nervine, soothing Mm -hmm. to the nervous system. I don't get high. I don't get altered and like concerned about being what I would, in the old days, we'd call it getting stupid. You got really stupid, man. And that's kind of true. But with the hemp, I find it to be very soothing. And also I used it with a couple of people who had bronchial issues and they found it quite relaxing to the bronchi when they had Mm -hmm. smoke a little bit of hemp, even though it's it's counterintuitive if you have an irritation in the lungs to smoke some anything. But a couple of people would use it when they had bronchial issues and find it to be quite soothing to the bronchi. It would actually relax the tissue in the bronchi and it's, and it's just hemp. Yeah, um, yeah, it is a bronchial dilator. Okay. And I just find it really quite soothing. There are times when I will, you know, I'll have one, I'll have a joint in the tube for a long time because I don't smoke much of it. I just take a hit or two and I just find it very pleasant, not altering, not stoned, but just like the immediate effect of valerian's a little harsh, but, you know, skullcap, passionflower, sort of those family of casual relaxants. Um, mm-hmm. I just think it's a, it's a great delivery that I didn't know it was a bronchiodilator. That's a great thing to know. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, I'm a big fan of hemp. And hemp hemp itself has a very comparatively minuscule amount of THC in it, doesn't it? Always? Pretty much? Yeah. The, to me, the definition of a hemp it has to have less than 0.3% THC. Yeah. Yeah. That's like nothing. Yeah. Uh, but you're still getting some benefit of, of the THC. Is that part of the relaxation effect when you're inhaling it, even though it's that tiny amount? It, it, so it's really a when I'm part of what I'm doing with a hemp leaf is that I'm using a whole plant, which again mm-hmm. is always my approach, and I like that. So I, am I getting some tiny little bit of relaxation from that minuscule amount of THC? Do you think? It could, it could be, or it could be the CBD itself. It tends to have um, you know, a little bit of a calming effect helps with anxiety. So it, it could just be the CBD itself causing that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm a fan. 
I'm, they're not a sponsor. They're not. A, I don't have affiliate links. I just <laughs> I think hemp pre rolls are a really nice thing to have around because they're yeah. really soothing. Um, quick delivery. That is the advantage in terms of smoking. Is it's a very quick delivery system. I wasn't going to go here, but I'm going to go here now. Let's talk about delivery systems. Let's talk about oils, creams, salves. Uh, Vaping is a whole rant that I'll have separately. But, you know, (laughs) talk to us about delivery systems. And and when you're working with a client, how do you, how do you, from the intaking with them and from figuring them out, do you figure a delivery system for that particular person? You see what works best for them? Yeah, yeah. Basically, we see what's going to fit into their lifestyle best, or if they've already been trying things, they might already have a preference. Um, so, you know, topical, that's, that can work great for pain or for rashes or skin type issues. Um, and usually the topical doesn't have um, that psychoactive effect. It's not going to get you high. So that can be good depending on, on what the issue is. Um, then there's smoking or vaping, which, like you said, has the quickest onset, which is a real benefit for that, depending on what, what's going on. Um, it also is going to not stay in the system as long as some of the other um, methods because it does um, have that quicker onset. Um, so then if we look at edibles, they, those tend to stay in your system much longer, and that could be, um, you know, different cookies or candies or different things like that, or it could be um, oils or tinctures. And so that's usually um, the go-to for a lot of people is topical tinctures or oil-based tinctures. Um, And those can be used sublingually as well, where you hold them under your tongue and your cheek to get that absorption going a little bit quicker. Um, Because the thing with edibles is they do take a lot longer to reach an effect, but then it lasts longer. And if you don't know your dose, edibles can get really tricky um, (laughs) because (laughs) it depends on your metabolism and how much you ate before you medicate. Um, You know, they can reach an effect in one to three hours, but if you have a slower metabolism and you ate a huge meal, it could be even longer than that. So you have to be careful about redosing too soon before you reach the full effect or you can get to an uncomfortable place um, with, with edibles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also transdermal patches that reach deeper into the bloodstream to have um, a longer effect. And suppositories, um, vaginal or rectal suppositories would be another option. I worked on a a formula, this is in the 90s, I worked on a formula privately with a woman who was a director of a hospice in the Monterey Peninsula, and she wanted something that patients could use that wasn't going to just put them into really, you know, a bad state in terms of being just altered beyond consciousness. And mm-hmm. so we worked on a suppository formula because a number of the people she worked with couldn't take anything orally or had, you know, maybe they had a form of cancer. They wouldn't allow them to assimilate. And fortunately, I had a chemist back then who made other things, but also would make an extract. And sometimes we'd make, a, you know, like any kind of suppository, a coconut oil maybe or something like that. And she said the patients were just so pleased 
to be able to not only dose themselves, I also worked with another group who was making caramels. It was a combination of various kinds of extracts and butters and oils and a really great formula. And they just loved the fact that they could actually control their dosage. Mm-hmm. That they, they, once they got that dialed in, whether it was, the, it was the, the suppository was more for people who were on the, you know, veil slightly to begin with. But the people that were doing the caramels were so thrilled because they, they would figure out their own dosage by experience and knew that they could control their own thing anytime they wanted. And it didn't make them, the opioids can be so tricky in terms of, you know, and then you're out. I don't mean you're dead, but you're like so unconscious. You're just like laying there out. Yeah. And, they, and they really liked having the option of having some kind of thing where if they wanted to suck on a caramel for five minutes or eat the whole thing because they were having a lot of pain, they know they could. And it just seems like a great yeah. delivery system. But that was 30 years ago? Wow. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Go ahead. And the, the suppositories are great for people that have cancer and might need a lot bigger doses of THC that they can't handle in other ways. And also for localized issues like if rectal cancer or bladder cancer or just menstrual cramps, things like that, um, those can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. And back to the holding it in your, uh, when you were talking about holding a tincture or some kind of substance in your mouth, is there some benefit? Does it bypass the brain blood barrier? Do you get some assimilation from the mouth directly into the brain or is it really just the beginning of the digestive process in the mouth? Yeah, well, it's bypassing the liver and getting absorbed mm-hmm. right into your bloodstream. Mm-hmm. Although there are there are products that claim sublingual absorption, and really we see kind of more of a oral absorption kind of effect. So not every product is really going to be absorbed. Um, you know, they're they're all a little bit different. So um, usually, if it if it is sublingual, we can start to see absorption within a few minutes, up to fifteen minutes or so. Um, and then we're going to get, we're still swallowing some of it, so we're still going to get a little bit of that longer action that you would with an oral product. Um, but yeah, if it's truly sublingual and it's truly getting absorbed through that tissue in your mouth, then it's going to hit the bloodstream a lot quicker. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I want to jump back to vaping for a moment, and, and my editorial comment on it is, I'm such a a fan of the world of cannabis in terms of a, for people who want to use it recreationally, great. For people who want it as a something for pain or stress or nerves or relaxation, great. My issue with, I have two issues with vaping. One is there's a lot of waste that's not recycled. The batteries, the cases, the metal, the glass tubes, it just all becomes garbage Mm -hmm. and I hate that. And the other one is in uh, a recent interview with Stephanie Seneff. She talked about she has seen issues with the propylene glycol as a delivery Mm -hmm. because they use it a lot in the vaping pens. And one of the issues that she has observed is that if you have a country, let's say Brazil, where they do use a lot of corn as a source to make their fuels, propylene glycol can be a side product from producing fuels. So you have a byproduct made from GMO sources, which means that we can be having traces of glyphosate in that propylene glycol. So that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they don't study. So they'll say like the ingredients are 
grass generally regarded as safe, but that mm-hmm. that designation is given to things that we ingest internally, orally, so they're not studied when we inhale them. So yeah, if you have propylene glycol or something in there, we don't know. Really, you would want to look at every ingredient and if it's been studied to, you know, be at higher heat and be inhaled, and we don't really um, have that information always. So you, you really want to look at every part, even just the equipment on the vape pen and everything to know, um, you know, what you are potentially inhaling with it. And then we, you know, we know about the vitamin E and, and how people were dying from that additive. So it's really the additives that you have to be careful of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, you know, you could vape whole flour would be another option. I don't know how you feel about that, like a volcano mm-hmm. machine or something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that you're, you're vaping whole flour instead of right. vape pens. Right. No, I'm a fan of that. I'm a fan of that technology where you're heating up the plant, the, the flower medicine in some way, like you say, as the volcano is a sort of like Marin County, many people have volcanoes hidden in their houses. Um, I think that's, I think that in terms of that, I think that's like the best delivery. I don't mean just a volcano, but that kind of where it's kind of an old yeah. school, like you're twisting up a joint. Um, yeah. It's just that it's a very high tech way of doing it. And I think it's really clean because you don't have all this batteries and metal and glass tubes and things that really are just going in the trash. And I hate that. Yeah. Not not a word yeah. I use often, but I really do hate that, that there's so much waste in a world of, no, stop with all the blinking light things that you have in your pen pocket. And I know people like the convenience, but no, I just say no on that. <laughs> yeah. um, I want to I jump slightly sideways to ask about, do you think that when Charlotte's Web, the strange Charlotte's Web, which kind of started in Colorado. It was probably other places, but Colorado became famous for it. And Charlotte's Web was being used a lot for children with seizure issues. Do you think mm-hmm. that helped? Do you think that helped sort of blow up in the best of ways the cannabis world? Because that was pretty early on, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I feel like Charlotte's Web is like one of the first strains that really helped for CBD to gain popularity. Uh, and I know the makers of Charlotte's Web were featured in some big documentaries. I think it was Weed. Um, and yeah, I definitely think that that helped um, make CBD more well-known. I know a lot of families were traveling to Colorado to help their mm-hmm. children um, who had epilepsy or moving there so that they could have access to the medication. And yeah, I, I feel like that definitely really helped to bring light um, to CBD in itself and then especially, you know, seizures. Mm-hmm. And I think there was a special, I think uh, 60 Minutes did a piece on Charlotte's Web because fam- yeah. some families with children that, were, that had severe seizure issues actually had to move to Colorado because they weren't able to take it across state lines at that time. Not that you can now, really. But yeah. there was a lot of that. So there was a whole segment on that. I, that's the one I remember. I think it wasn't a film, but I don't remember what that documentary, but I don't remember that. I just remember the segment on 60 Minutes where everybody was like, what? This is amazing. And what? We must be able to control this some way. Um, but it was, it really blew up the, the cannabis world. And I think really, is Charlotte's Web a CBD dominant strain? Yes. Um, 
yes, I don't know like the exact per, percent right. or anything. Okay. Um, okay. But Charlotte's Web is, is a whole company now that makes multiple products as well. Okay. Yeah, I'm talking about the original. And it seems like that was one of the things that really helped people understand that there was a CBD, not just THC, because up until then, it was a lot of focus on the that sort of old school reefer madness thinking about THC. And it seems like Charlotte's Web was the one that really got people to understand there was a CBD that had great benefits as well. Yeah, yeah, I think it helped people to understand that there truly are medical benefits and that the scheduling of cannabis as a Schedule 1 substance really doesn't make sense because we put things in Schedule 1 if they have high addiction potential and no medicinal benefit. Um, And that means you can't travel across state lines because it's not federally legal. So even if you were going from one legal state to another legal state, you technically couldn't cross those lines or that would be federally illegal. And Mm. we, we know it doesn't make sense because even, you know, the U.S., there's a federal patent on cannabinoids as neuroprotectants and antioxidants. So our government knows there's medicinal benefits because they have this patent, yet they're saying there's none. So, yeah, it doesn't belong as a Schedule 1, in my opinion. That's a whole other show. I'll just not set that aside <laughs> because that's a whole other like that will get me completely inflamed. Uh, just, oh, are you kidding me? Uh, yeah, madness. Um, I heard you, I either read or heard you talk about a mice study on inflammation using CBD versus aspirin. Would you talk about that? I thought that was an amazing, like, these were happy mice. I'm happy to have mice have something good happen to them. Uh, But yeah, talk about the CBD versus aspirin study. Yeah, so it looked at whole plant CBD and isolate CBD and aspirin for inflammation in the mice. And both forms of CBD were much more effective than aspirin. I don't, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head. Um, but that also showed that dose response curve where the isolate had, a, you know, a peak and a, and a falling down where after a certain dose there was, there was not only not additional benefit, but actually less control of inflammation. So there's just like this narrow therapeutic window of this peak whereas the whole plant had much more effect with a much smaller dose, and then it kind of plateaued out. So you didn't get any additional benefit after a certain point, but it also didn't go back down where you didn't have an effect. So that, again, illustrates, you know, the whole plant and how that can be powerful and using lower doses and not having that same curve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Really a plant medicine. Wow. I just have to say it every once in a while. Um, and what about, this is a, this is a big thing, but I'll, I'll start it here. What are the benefits or attributes that are beneficial to our immune system of cannabis? Yeah. So there's still a lot that we don't know on how cannabis affects the immune system. It, it was thought to be immunosuppressive um, because we've seen that in some studies and it can be beneficial in autoimmune type conditions like Crohn's. Um, but it goes back to the whole homeostasis effect of the endocannabinoid system where um, there is basically some evidence that it is, you know, immunomodulating. So basically it can be suppressive or stimulating depending on, 
what you're using it for. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it can definitely help, um, you know, decrease pro-inflammatory cytokines and um, increase anti-inflammatory cytokines and just kind of help regulate um, the immune system. So um, increasing B, B cells, T cells, natural killer cells, different things like that. But there's still that we don't, there's still a lot that we don't know in exactly how, the, how it works. And what about, well, sometime, we talked about this backstage, I think sometime we'll do a whole show on this arena, but talk just a little bit about cannabis and opioids. The I know yeah. that from other research I've done, that cannabis is being used as a gateway, as a beneficial gateway of getting people off of opioids. Could you talk a little yeah. bit about that? Yeah. So... First, I think it's important to understand that we have an opioid crisis and that you can die from opioid overdoses. Um, and in fact, um, stats from 2016 were that 46 people in the U.S. die every day from prescription painkiller overdoses. Mm. Um, so that's quite a, quite a few deaths. Um, also, it's just a real problem in the U.S. Um, America has less than 5% of the world's population, and we consume about 80% of the world's opioid supply. Um, so definitely a problem here, definitely more consumption than other places. And the thing about opioids were they just, they really were never designed for chronic pain, and the evidence is insufficient to determine their effectiveness for long-term, um, long-term use for improving chronic pain and function. So really, we shouldn't be using them long term, but a lot of patients are. And a lot of, you know, there is a high addiction potential. People get addicted and um, have a hard time getting off, and they're not always even effective for chronic pain. And so we do know that there, there was a large report um, from the National Academy of Science, Engineering, and Medicine that showed the health effects of cannabis and the cannabinoids were found to have substantial evidence that cannabis is effective for treating chronic pain in adults. So that's the first thing is that cannabis itself can be effective in chronic pain, which could just make the use of opioids less needed. Um, they both, both opioids and cannabinoids uh, work in pain signaling areas of the brain. And so there's this kind of synergistic effect that happens where if you get cannabis on board, you can usually get to lower doses of opioids. Mm. And then cannabis can also help with withdrawal symptoms. Um, if you are trying to get off the opioids and you're having a hard time with it, it can kind of help in that process. Um, so, and, and it is safe because cannabis, the, the um, endocannabinoid system does not have any receptors on the brain stem, which is what we worry about in overdose. Um, that your respiratory centers are going to you're going to stop breathing, and that's how you have the overdose. And that doesn't happen with cannabis, so we don't have to worry about um, a more risk of overdose if we're using cannabis with opioids. And usually, when people introduce it, they can you know start to lower their dose of opioids and still have pain control. Mm. And so, 46 people have day die from opioid issues, complications, I'll call it. How many people a day die from cannabis overdose? 
<laughs> Nobody. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think there's been any study um, that has shown that it's even possible. Um, yeah, it's again, there's no receptors on the brain stem, so you really can't overdose. You, I mean, you can get to a point where you're really uncomfortable and have, you know, kind of a psychosis, things like that. There are definitely side effects that can happen, but death is not one of them. That is not one of them. That's good. That's good. That's on my list of things to observe. Death is not one of those well, side effects. I guess I could yeah. say potentially if you, you know, if you had a heart condition and you um, yeah. developed tach- tachycardia from too much THC, it's like, you know, there are, are times where maybe there are effects that could kill you indirectly, you know, if you have other issues going on and you really overdose on THC. But, yeah, right. they they can't really produce studies showing that there's a toxic dose, a, a lethal yeah. dose. Yeah. I have, in my past, consumed mass quantities of cannabis. And I will say the, the worst thing that happens is you end up sort of trapped on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I mean, really, you can yeah. write it out. Yes, Yes, I've been with people who have taken something that's caused them to be paranoid, but yeah. they were paranoid to begin with, and it just exacerbated that. It didn't suddenly make them paranoid. They were already twitchy to begin with. This is my yeah. observation. I mean, Go when ahead. I worked in the hospital, we would I, I think I saw one person in the six years that I worked there that wandered into the ER because he was too high and was paranoid and wanted to mm-hmm. make sure nothing was going to happen. But, I mean, as far as alcohol deaths and opioid deaths in the hospital, those were common. So, yeah, yeah, it, it's, yeah, paranoia can be pretty bad, pretty uncomfortable. You, you think you're going to die for a little bit, but then, then it goes away. <laughs> yeah. And you wake up the next day and go, wow, that was bad. That was really bad. <laughs> um, this, I, I'm going to ask you about something now that I, I suspect we can do a whole show on unto itself. THC, you talk about THC is can open – Explore the mind-body-spirit connection, A, and B, how can we really have a healthy system if we aren't opening that connection up? Yeah, I don't think we can. Um, You know, we are mind-body-spirit. We're all three, and sometimes we get stuck in the physical. I know I personally did um, because that's how I was trained as a pharmacist is you look at Mm -hmm. physical symptoms and then you give a pharmaceutical to change the chemistry to change that physical symptom. And when I had my own healing that I needed to do, I realized that just looking at the physical was not serving me. And so I had to open myself up to more and, Cannabis is a tool for that. Um, for me, it, it really helped um, with mindset and um, being able to practice mindfulness and being present fully in the moment. And that spirit connection, that soul, just being able to sit in meditation and allow emotions to come up and to connect with my soul and do some inner child healing. Um, yeah, I think it's definitely... A really powerful tool. It helps with creativity. Um, people can get into creative states, get into that flow state. Um, that can be really helpful. And it just kind of, it kind of takes the edge off when you have somebody, especially with a chronic disease, and they've been in pain chronically, 
it just takes a little bit of that edge off. It gives you this different perspective where it just, it just puts a little space, even if it doesn't resolve your pain completely, it just puts a little space between you and your pain. You can see things from a different perspective. You can see your life from a different perspective. Just can take a little bit of an edge off where you can just lighten up a little bit and maybe laugh, maybe have some fun. Um, and it just it heightens your senses. So maybe that helps you be in the present moment and experience mindfulness and, um, you know, some people enjoy it with yoga. You know, there's a cannabis yoga movement as well. And so moving your body, getting into that parasympathetic nervous state and having your, you know, your mind and your body are connected and being able to just relax and get into a different state with a different perspective can be really, really powerful for healing. And just, you know, your mindset, your thoughts literally turn genes on and off. Sometimes it's easier to get into a more positive mind state and just feel a little bit better um, when you can take the edge off with something. Well, on that underrated, that, that's such a powerful phrase, feel a little better is so, yeah. you know, let, let's, step, let's step into that as a cascade effect. Wow, I feel yeah. a little bit better. How about more of that? Because the cells really are listening. I, I got that years ago when I first interviewed Bruce Lipton on the biology of belief. And then I saw him mm-hmm. lecture a number of times and interviewed him down through the years on all his books. That it's really, our, our cells are listening. So when we're shouting, it's bad, it's bad, it's terrible, it's bad. Our cells are going, ooh, wow, it's really bad, it's bad, it's bad. We got the message. And the hormone cascade that occurs. So if we can flip the switch on that hormone cascade... Those are my words. I'm certain you say it much better. That to, oh, I feel better. Wow. Let's trend toward that. Let's have ourselves hear that. I feel better. And you do feel better. And then it happens more and more. It's really quite stupendous. The system is listening. Wow. We're paying attention. Our cells are just down there waiting for information. So I think anything we can do to assist getting that especially in these wonky times, it's always a little wonky, but it just seems more so now, uh, to have something that's like less angsty. I know that's not a technical term, but it really is, a, you know, to relax. I didn't yeah, know there was a home. I didn't know there was a movement with uh, doing yoga and cannabis. That seems like a great combination. Yeah. Yeah. You're just more aware of your body, um, you know, under the influence of cannabis. You know, it can just really help you with, with yoga. And, yeah, just taking that edge off where you start to feel a little bit better. And just, ha- I mean, just having a day where you feel a little bit better can be huge for somebody who's been suffering for a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I saw that. Uh, I'll go back to when I was working with the, the head of the hospice in the 90s, making suppositories and then creating caramels, where people would have, they wouldn't, I mean, if you're in hospice, you're on the gateway to dying. But they'd be able to relax a little bit, get out of that just constricted state of a combination of fear and pain and have a little moment of like, oh, just that, just the, just a yeah. little bit of relaxation so that the, tra- the transition might be easier and or just a little bit of relaxation so you can actually communicate with your loved ones before you pass. 
It was it was yeah. very rewarding. It was amazing. Yeah, it, I mean, it definitely can help with anxiety, and so anxiety is one of the things that you suffer from, especially like that's typical for people I work with that have chronic Lyme disease. Just taking mm-hmm. g- taking that layer off where you're not feeling as anxious. And relaxation, like people underestimate how important rest is for healing. So if you could just get some, some you know, better quality rest, and then, you know, we know it helps with sleep as well. So if you're able to get deeper quality sleep, then you're going to be able to detox better. Your immune system is going to work better. You're going to have less inflammation. It's always all the endocannabinoid system affects everything. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a it's a radical idea that that, that we are really that uh, this is a like I say this could be a whole show just talking about the mind body spirit connection like that's really that's a thing that really is yeah. we are mind body spirit animals. Um, well, I mean that's evidence if you just look at the placebo effect. You know that the placebo effect is real and. Your body, like specifically for pain, your body will activate its innate pain-killing mechanisms if you're given a placebo and you think it's going to help you with pain. Your body, your body will mimic whatever placebo you're given, whatever it's supposed to do. Your body chemistry will change to reflect that if you think it's going to work for you. And there's, there's um, some information that the placebo analgesia that happens is dependent on the endocannabinoid system. So if you have a dysfunctional endocannabinoid system, that can inhibit you from benefiting from the placebo effect potentially. And then there's also the nocebo effect where if you think something is going to be bad for you, you have a negative effect in your body. So that's where that mindset really comes in again, that the mind-body connection. If you are hopeful that something's going to work and you think it's going to work for you, your body might actually, you know, have that response and make it work. Whereas if you think something's not going to work or be bad for you, then it it is. (laughs) So your your Mm -hmm, mind mm -hmm. is really, really powerful. Our mind is, there's your next book. Our mind is really, really powerful. Come on, (laughs) baby, listen to it. Um, All right. I find that we're at this magic moment. I can't believe we got here already. uh, Where I want to ask you where you would like people to find out more information about your work. I highly recommend yeah. people go to Christine's site and read the articles on cannabis. There are a lot of great articles there, but there's some really good informative information on cannabis there as well. And where should they go to find all about that? Yeah, so my website is limesupport.com. So lime is L-Y-M-E, lime support. And yeah, there's, there's different articles on cannabis, on Lyme disease, functional medicine, um, basically anything to do with healing and looking at the root cause. Um, and then I also have a masterclass that I'm doing with a colleague over these next couple of weeks um, called Survive to Thrive, Three Chronic Pain and Illness Traps That You Didn't Even Know You Were In. And so oh. there are certain traps that we get into that keep us stuck uh, where we just can't get better. We get into a place where we are chronically ill and we just feel stuck like we can't get out and so we teach you why that is and what you can do about it and so our next uh, classes coming up are Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern time and Thursday at noon and then we have a few more dates in February as well and that can be found on my website too if you want to register for that great excellent 
as always, a pleasure talking with you, Christine. That was wonderful. Yes, thank you, Richard. Pleasure talking to you as well. And everybody have a great rest of the weekend, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.